Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 246 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are talking all about one particular antioxidant that just doesn't get enough airtime, CoQ10. We are going to be covering its benefits in the body, benefits of supplementation, food sources of CoQ10, and common questions about what form of CoQ10 is best. And then because we'll be talking a lot about cardiovascular health with relation to CoQ10, I also want to make sure we give a little bit of time to the recent concerns of myocarditis and the schmackschmeat. Yes, I think that that's a really timely topic and kind of why we put CoQ10 on the map. We did cover this nutrient way back in episode 85, so almost 200 episodes ago, where we had an episode called Three Micronutrients, and it covered asparginine, which is an amino acid, CoQ10, which we'll be digging deep into today, and zinc. So that does have a little preliminary introduction, but it's Wow, if almost 200 episodes, that's like four years ago. I'm sure it's not um, very in-depth at least, or (laughs) or not as in-depth as some of the new research that we've pulled for today's episode. Absolutely. I don't think we even touched on its role in fertility. We definitely touched on the statin drug connection, which we'll nerd out on again today. But as you said, I think the whole myocarditis story that's coming out with especially teens and young adults that were otherwise very healthy, no comorbidities morbidities, no metabolic disease, having these severe inflammatory heart disease conditions following either virus or schmackschmeen, that this is a really important time to talk about this antioxidant as a tool. And really throughout the time of the pandemic, antioxidants have been a powerful player. Mm -hmm. That would include, of course, vitamin C. That would also include N-acetylcysteine or NAC and glutathione. And then we even see like zinc, you know, which has mineral and antioxidant properties as well. Yes. All right. Let's do it. But first, let's just have a quick word from Fond Bone Broth to kick things off. Yes. So Fond, as you know, is my favorite slow simmered sipping bone broth on the market what i love about them is they are quality as well as synergy of food as medicine and they provide delicious flavor profiles so all the way from the process of using stainless steel vats in the cooking process to battling to bottling excuse me in glass i love that the glass jars are shelf stable so that in the middle of a busy day at clinic or when i return home from out of town and i didn't take that extra step to thaw out my broth i can just right away dump it on my stovetop pan, quick simmer, and have a mug of deliciousness. They partner with organic local farms and also have quality sourcing in their proteins. They're using free range chicken and they incorporate the backs and the feet so that you get a really nice gelatinous, oopy goopy collagen driving supporter for a facelift for the gut, also support for connective tissue and a great source of amino acids. We get glycine in there, which is really supportive for body fat burn and also supportive of making GABA, which is that inhibitory mellower outer in the brain. In fact, as you're listening to this, this might be a time to check out our YouTube video on doing a bone broth fast. We will link that in the show notes, or you can just Google bone broth fast, naturally nourish YouTube. And we talk about how you could do a three or a five day bone broth fast. I think in court in incorporating fond bone broth into this fast will make it not just survivable, but something that you can totally thrive on and enjoy the process and look forward to, you know, you'd have about four jars per day on that. Mm -hmm. So you could get yourself a case, do a three-day bone broth fast and really kind of wring things out, support yourself with some detox packs and be feeling amazing in yourself as we're finding ourselves mid-summer already heading into fall. Yes. 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 
So go on over to fondbonebroth.com to check out Wellness Truly Well Made and your sous chef in a jar. Great flavor enhancers for any recipes, great sipping and great vehicles for soups from their turmeric crack black pepper to their beets and poblano peppers and so much more fondbonebroth.com. Use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. When you use AllieMillerRD, you will get a discount and also you let them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. I just used the um, spring clean in a cucumber avocado, kind of a riff on the old school cucumber avocado detox soup. And it was amazing, even in like that cold soup base. Ooh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Good. Awesome. So before we kick into CoQ10, Becky, let's talk about just some updates that are happening and programs and things on the cuff. So as y'all are listening to this, we are just wrapping up the end of our May 12-week virtual food as medicine ketosis class. Class. So we will be actually releasing this as an archive. We will not be doing another live class until January. Um, our January launch will be the second Wednesday of the month, and we definitely will be doing a promo over Black Friday, so you can keep an eye out for that. But don't wait until next year to be exploring your metabolic health and understanding how food as medicine and nutritional ketosis can make you feel amazing in your body, reduce inflammation, get that stubborn COVID weight gain back off and prevent diabetes, heart disease, and so much more. So let's tell them a little bit about how the archive will work because by the time they're listening to this, they'll almost be available to purchase it. Um, we're going to be launching that the 1st of August. Is yes. that correct? So yep. keep an eye out. Yep. This is going to be evergreen. So it's not going to be like when Becky was on maternity, we did an archive class and we ran it still over three months. This is going to be archived where you can purchase it at any time. And um, what are the big things that they can have access to? So you'll be able to access the recording of the most recent class, so the most up-to-date resources. There will be six videos plus a bonus kind of keto 101 introductory video. And you'll still have access to all of the handouts that we utilize throughout class. So you'll be able to follow along in the videos, download the handouts, go through kind of workshopping your macros, workshopping your meal plan, along with the videos. And then you'll also have access to all of the resources in the classroom. So when we speak about a certain podcast episode or our favorite brands of certain keto-friendly foods, that's all in there. And the price point is kind of amazing, actually. Very amazing. Um, so if, if that's hindered you or stopped you from purchasing the class in the past of the live version, this version is going to be $99. So yes. very approachable, very affordable, and you get to keep it forever or at least for the lifetime of the our website. website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't promise forever with anything, um, but for the lifetime of our website. So you can watch it over and over again. You can always go back to that resource. And this has been a request ongoing, I think, yes. for people who just can't make it to the live classes or they feel guilty spending the money and then not doing it live. So I think a really accessible price point. Yes, so this is $99 instead of $299. And again, the big difference is it won't be live. You will not have access to the Slack because we can't offer it at $99 and then handhold through the process. Uh, so you won't have access to the Slack community and then you won't get the discounts for the naturally nourished supplements and uh, labs. That's the big variances. But again, it's a $200 savings for all of the content of the course that you can watch pretty much indefinitely. And I think you're going to get awesome results. And we do still answer a lot of questions in the opening and closing of the classes. So you will still learn from other people's questions, which are probably frequent yep. and things that you're experiencing as well. And um, we think you're going to love it. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and check it out under books and programs. All right. What else we got in the pipeline? Should we just tease the them things. about some things coming up? We can't give you dates quite yet, can yes. we? <laughs> well, we are going to be soft launching or pre-sailing uh, a new program, yes. which we can announce the name of. And okay. we're super excited of. Da, da, da. Over Labor Day, we're going to be starting a pre-sale on naturally nourished food as medicine for the whole family. So this is going to be an introduction to what is a whole family. Food. We're going to have modules on carbs, proteins, and fats. We're going to go through the life cycle all the way from infertility and pregnancy through breastfeeding, through in, through baby led weaning, through toddlers, through kids lunches, through adolescents and teens, all the way into 
hormone transition time frame and perimenopausal mode and also looking at gentle aging process. Yes. So we're going to have tons of modules, videos to support the process of course stuff on HPA access and stress. We're going to have videos of Noah eating and show you a little bit more hands-on on baby led weaning. Stella is going to talk to the kids direct in a taste adventurers class. It's going to be jam-packed with content. So keep an eye out for that. That'll be coming in September and I'm sure we'll start talking about it more in August as it comes to life. Yes. <laughs> okay. I think all that's right. enough teasing. Okay. Yes. We, got, we also want to do a retreat coming, but... and yeah, another <laughs> book and all the things. A 12-week okay. keto meal plan. Right. We'll, we'll tell you guys later, <laughs> but um, stay tuned. This is where to find it always. Yes. All right. Um, let's kick off today's content with just the most obvious question. Let's define for listeners exactly what CoQ10 is. Yes, so CoQ10 or coenzyme Q10, which is the same thing, this is an essential nutrient that functions as an antioxidant in our body. It also is known as ubiquinone or its reduced form ubiquinol, but we'll talk about structure and function of form when we get into nerdy bioavailability and absorption conversation. But for all intent and purpose, CoQ10 is produced endogenously or naturally synthesized by your body, and it is used to provide energy to your cells. It has a lot of function within our mitochondria. It transports electrons in the electron transport chain for energy production and plays a huge role in cardiovascular health through those mechanisms, but also in its role of regulating blood pressure. So CoQ10 is a coenzyme, if you will, that basically helps other enzymes in the body work properly. And it is not a vitamin per se, because humans and animals can make it endogenously. It is an antioxidant coenzyme. So again, naturally occurring, it's essential for energy production. And even though the human body can produce it, we still can see high susceptibility to deficiency. And that's what creates particular importance of looking for CoQ10 in abundance with your food choice, as well as considering strategic supplementation. Yes, I can't tell you how many micronutrient panels actually I've reviewed very recently of people who've been either borderline or functionally deficient in CoQ10. And most of them, I think, have been more like aging population. Some of the individuals put on their form that they're on statins. So we'll get into blood pressure medications. Blood pressure medications as well. Sulfonuria. Yep. Um, Yep. So, you know, the whole diabetic drug. Most metabolic drugs will drive deficiency of CoQ10. And even like metformin too Mm -hmm. and its impact on the mitochondria. So, yep. Yeah, super and the, common. the other thing I think, which is worth noting and, and very timely, is that we're seeing more and more. And I saw it myself post my COVID. Likely, I didn't test, but I'm quite confident that's what I had. Uh, as far as I had a definite viral hit, and I tested my micronutrients. I want to say like only six weeks or seven mm-hmm. weeks following the the big kind of hit of my body being most impacted. And I've seen this myself and I've seen this with other clients that antioxidants get depleted yeah. when you're yeah. fighting off a pathogen, especially a viral infection. So we're seeing more and more in the year of 2020 and now 2021, when we're running these micronutrient panels, the antioxidant pillar being weakened and you know yeah. full circle, as I said, with opening, antioxidants have also been one of the most powerful treatment modalities. So really important to prioritize repleting and you know when we see beyond heart disease and energy production we see a huge role of CoQ10 on depression and mental health as well as fertility and inflammatory yeah some super cool studies in terms of its multi-mechanistic function yes Um, let's talk about where in the body CoQ10 is found and most concentrated Yes. So CoQ10 is stored in the mitochondria of the cells, and this is basically the batteries of our cells that are responsible for energy production. And different tissues in the body that will see this ubiquinone or CoQ10 are going to be highest concentrated in the heart, followed by the kidneys, the liver, and then our muscle tissue. Um, We also see a good amount in the pancreas, And then we see a good amount in the spleen and the thyroid. So a lot of the energy producing, detoxifying, uh, and of course, cardiovascular being the most concentrated. Yeah. The heart is 
pretty dynamic about the concentration is like double what most of the other areas are. Right. Absolutely. Um, Let's talk a little bit about just function in the body and kind of what it does. So like I said, because it drives that electron transport chain, it plays a role with energy production. And within that, we also see a regulation of blood pressure. So cardiovascular health is huge. A, CoQ10 is highly concentrated in the heart. B, it impacts the blood pressure, which is one of the primary drivers of inflammation and injury in the vessels. That's where then we have to have plaque to repair those micro tears from that that vessel being under stress or high pressure, of course. And we also see arrhythmia or irregular heartbeat or that muscle function because of CoQ10 deficiency. So it plays a role with regulating your heart rate and just the overall function of the heart Mm -hmm. as an organ. So cardiovascular health, I think, is kind of the big area of focus. So anyone that has had any form of bypass procedure or has had a stent or has had any form of heart disease or incident mm-hmm. should absolutely be on a pretty high dose, at least 200 to 300 milligrams of coenzyme Q10. And then, you know, as a preventative, anyone who has family history or is dealing with going on a statin or maybe even pre-statin or pre-blood pressure, if on either of those medications and or considering or told to be on CoQ10 would be a great intervention as well. Yeah, and heart failure's got some pretty promising studies as well as um, increasing HDL and reducing CRP, that inflammatory marker. And oxidized LDL, I've seen. So again, as a powerful antioxidant, we're both removing the overall inflammation of CRP and then the oxidation of the LDL is what drives the foam cells and the activity that drives plaque. Yes. And then beyond cardiovascular health, we can see fertility benefits, which we'll dig into some of the studies as well. Energy production, as you mentioned. Yeah. We'll stay list focused because we have tons of research to share. (laughs) So I won't go so deep. So yeah. So fertility in both women and men, um, we see influence on energy production. So for chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, this is a big area of focus. Um, again, I really think a powerful tool in supporting like the long hauling that we see mm-hmm. post-viral infection. Um, again, essential in the world of statin drugs, blood pressure, or diabetic drugs. And um, this could be a really great positive tool for exercise performance and enhancement because if we're thinking of that muscle contraction yeah. and activation. Yep. Uh, blood sugar regulation and insulin sensitivity can be improved. So if we're seeing elevated fasting insulin levels, CoQ10 could be a really great intervention. And then we can see great neurological impacts. So Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, even in the world of ADHD. And again, as I mentioned, depression and anxiety, because when there's inflammation in the brain, that can highly interfere with optimal neurological health. And then we can see CoQ10 also in the respiratory area, which again comes back full circle of why it's powerful for pandemic timeframe and respiratory virus. Um, we've seen studies on uh, COPD and asthma and um, support with CoQ10. Okay, so a lot of really interesting whole body kind of systemic impact. Absolutely. As a powerful antioxidant, if it protects cells from oxidative damage and it produces energy and kind of regulates the energy production, we're going to see huge whole body impact. All right. So let's get into maybe some of the symptoms of deficiency. So beyond doing a micronutrient panel and actually testing to see if deficient, what are some of the telltale signs? So you can actually see some cardiovascular related symptoms, like again, arrhythmia would be one. So irregular heart rate, elevated blood pressure could technically be a symptom associated with deficiency, chest pain, chronic fatigue, as well as myalgias or muscle aches. So we can see muscle dystrophy or wear and tear or just aching. A lot of the side effects essentially that you think of associated with statin drugs, which we think of as Mm -hmm. that's the big one is that myopathy or the muscle wasting or like, you know, um, women or men will be like, oh, playing tennis now, my my joints hurt or or my um, forearms feel weaker. A lot of that is associated with that CoQ10 deficiency. And the same thing as statin brain, we'll see that cognitive decline, brain fog, and then as I mentioned, depression and anxiety with the CoQ10 deficiency. We can also see as in 
kind of outlier effect gingivitis or gum inflammation. Yeah. That's kind of a telltale sign actually. And that also, as we know, is connected to cardiovascular disease. And then we can see obesity. We can see both that insulin resistance, dysglycemia or imbalanced blood sugar regulation and increased body fat. Okay. And what would be like the big reason? So we mentioned obviously the, the statins as, as a driver, uh, but what would be some other big reasons of CoQ10 deficiency? So we look at toxicity as a big driver uh, because, again, antioxidants are trying to provide prevention of free radicals to damage or oxidize cells. And so antioxidants, by reducing that oxidative stress, are going to be depleted or demanded under high levels of oxidative stress, which is often seen through exposure to toxins. So this could be toxins in our work environment. This can be lifestyle-associated. We can also see pathogen driving distress. So again, through viral infection, um, through chronic diseases, we can see kind of a burnout or depletion of the antioxidant chain. We can see nutritional deficiencies influencing, especially those factors that play a role with energy production, like our B vitamin family, and also those that impact neurological function, like our B6 which we think of as a huge anxiolytic or anxiety reducer, the B vitamin family, when depleted, can drive more deficiency of CoQ10. And then any mitochondrial-related condition, as well as anyone that could have a genetic defect in CoQ10 synthesis or utilization. Yes, and and even within the high level of oxidative stress, thinking of like athletes potentially oh, as totally. an area of deficiency when or we see marathon ra- runners. Yeah, when we see rhabdomyolysis. Yeah. You know, yep. So rhabdomyolysis is the over, basically tearing or destruction of muscle. And I've seen this in like drummers, mm-hmm. you know, so beyond athletes. Yeah. Um, and that can kick up creatine in the blood. We can see kidney dysfunction, but CoQ10, again, because it's very concentrated in the kidneys and is an antioxidant and supports the muscle maintenance is a great tool for yes, high level athletes. I think that's a great point. And the marathon runners, they're getting more oxidative stress through the respiratory stress, especially if running in the city. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You think it's so health promoting and marathon runners are so healthy, but not so much. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big area, antioxidants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's hit the, the statin drug and maybe some of the other world of drug induced depletion. Cause I think this is so important to hit home because if we're depleting CoQ10, we're actually further stressing or taxing that cardiovascular system and, and could be setting someone up for a heart attack by just taking a statin. Absolutely. And I think it's something overlooked for sure. So when we're looking at the primary drugs that drive deficiency, we look at the classes of antidepressants like amylotriptyline. We look at beta blockers and blood pressure medications and then statin drugs, which would be like simvastatin or Lipitor. Um, All of these classifications of drugs do interfere with CoQ10 production And this can drive serious depletion because if the production pathway is hindered, then we're not getting as many, you know, marbles in the marble jar and we're likely depleting um, at a higher demand the scooping or the need and, and that can create some serious side effects. So when we're talking about CoQ10 and statin drugs, which is the most known or acknowledged in the pharmaceutical world pathway of deficiency, it's because statin drugs are going to block the pathway HMG-CoA reductase. And this is the same pathway which directly manufactures CoQ10. And that's why, again, at any level, which is you know a low-level uh, generic is like 20 milligram or 10 milligram name brand statin, even at those levels, especially if at levels of 40 or 80 milligrams, we most definitely have to supplement with CoQ10. So I would say if at a lower level, likely 100 milligrams is going to be reasonable. But if you are at the higher level range, you're going to be looking at more 200 to 300 milligrams to offset that level of depletion. Yep. Yep. And especially if you're exhibiting deficiency again in, in blood work. Yeah. More so. And or symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about absorption of CoQ10 and, and kind of this debate between ubiquinol and ubiquinone. Okay. So ubiquinone is the endogenous form or the form in the bioidentical structural way that our body manufactures it. Okay. But ubiquinone itself is highly unstable. 
And that makes the absorption and the bioavailability very difficult. So for this reason, many supplement manufacturers take a shortcut and they're going to use the reduced form of CoQ10, which is ubiquinol. Um, and there are research studies that show when we look at serum or our bloodstream, we can see higher levels of ubiquinol from supplementation as opposed to ubiquinone. But the concern and kind of approach that we take with the naturally nourished CoQ10 complex is that just because we see high presence of ubiquinol, the reduced form in the blood, doesn't mean that that has a structural functional ability to actually provide the mitochondria the fuel for the electron transfer chain. Um, and so, you know, we need the ubiquinone form in that electron transport chain. And so we like to provide the body with the active bioidentical form versus reduced form and actually what it can use intracellularly versus the unknown conversion of yes we see reduced in the blood but how much of that actually translates to usable nutrient for the focus and mechanism we're looking to see in the intervention got it so the ubiquinol again is going to raise blood levels but maybe not get to where it needs to go in the cells that's the big difference exactly so okay. you can see it in the reduced form higher in the blood circulation or the serum but again that's not usable intracellularly and we don't know what is available intracellularly it would have to actually be converted back to ubiquinone to do the function we're looking for it to do in the mitochondria right and we're always looking to allow the body to also do that work because i think there can be a whole body impact right Absolutely. And so it would be more natural to get it in this in this kind of bioidentical form, which is similar to the structure we're going to get from foods that contain, mm -hmm. which we'll okay. talk about food as medicine forms in a moment. And so that's why our CoQ10, CoQ10 complex specifically uses the ubiquinone, which is very unique to many on the market. And so yep. that's important to note there. And, and we did a lot of deep dive in research and clinical uh, outcomes with double-blind randomized studies and whatnot to really see efficacy of this formula. And so we're looking at incorporating beyond the 100 milligrams of the ubiquinone form, that bioidentical CoQ10, com combining that with zinc oxide to reduce oxidative stress as another antioxidant. We're adding in citrus peel and bioflavonoids to provide that stability and then we line the soft gel with turmeric it's also an emulsified soft gel which incorporates vitamin e as another antioxidant and then medium chain triglycerides or mcts which we know go right into the mitochondria so we're enhancing the delivery with this bioidentical form adding in antioxidants to stabilize it naturally and then delivering it with that emulsified fat that carries direct to mitochondria yes and because coq10 is fat soluble all the more beneficial delivered with that fat. Absolutely. And it's got 100% um, of daily value of vitamin E in the capsule, right? So if we're yeah. seeing vitamin E depletion as kind of one of the lower chain antioxidants, it could be very supportive in that respect as well. Absolutely. Yep. So you're getting this superior bioavailability in this unique gel cap and both the lining, you know, the lining of the zinc oxide actually also along with the turmeric, that's what lines it. It's like this opaque, beautiful orange color yeah. capsule. Yeah, yeah. I love, it's like a, a, a little drop of sunshine. I really enjoy taking it every morning at rise. And, um, that unique encapsulation, again, you think of zinc oxide, like for sunburn protection, yep. it's that same mechanism. So it's protecting against light. It's very, it's very photosensitive, which means that basically CoQ10 in the ubiquinone form is very sensitive to getting oxidized or damaged by light exposure. So we both use, of course, the amber glass jars, and then that particular lining of the capsule with the zinc oxide and turmeric provide that protection. Got it. And I think a lot of other formulas on the market aren't paying that much attention to the stability. And maybe that's why they're also going for that ubiquinol form, um, because it probably doesn't need to be stabilized in the same way. Oh, no doubt. And then other brands on the market, if they're adding a lipid or a fat, right. they're going to choose inferior fat. So they're not yeah. using those medium chain triglycerides. They're using like rice bran oil or soybean oil. And then as an emulsifier, they're going to add things like soy lecithin, right? So we're going to get some of those more pro-inflammatory genetically modified add-ins, which is not helpful for your mitochondria. So don't just look at, I'm, I'm comparing, we did a promo recently to a nature's bounty to 
200 milligram, you know, so a consumer that doesn't know what to look for is like, oh, well, this is 200 milligrams versus this company, the naturally nourished one has 100 milligram. Well, A, they don't state the source. They don't state the form. It just Mm -hmm. says coenzyme Q10. So we don't know if it's ubiquinone or ubiquinol. Um, And then they use that rice bran oil. They use uh, vegetable glycerin. And then they're using silica and soy lecithin. Whereas we don't have any of those um, additives. We do use gelatin in the capsule. But again, that's even more supportive for that membrane integrity. Yep. And the lemon that's used in it is quite pleasant, actually, if you like do happen to burp after you've taken it. It's kind of a breath freshener, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, a drop of sunshine. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's dig in maybe a little bit more on some of the research-supported benefits of CoQ10, yes. starting with energy. Yes. And I just want to say as a moment, since we don't have a mid-roll ad, we are giving listeners, if you have not tried our CoQ10 yet, uh, you can use, you can use the code CoQ10 podcast, and we're giving you 15% off your first bottle. So CoQ10 podcast for 15% off your first bottle. We highly encourage you to try it. And here's the research that supports why. Let's tell them why. (laughs) Yes. So uh, what was it you asked about energy? Let's start with energy. Yeah. Okay. And I think that this is maybe the most noticeable how I've described to clients and individuals. Now I've been using this formula for about eight months and I feel like it's a really clean burning fuel and like a really sustained clean burning fuel. Whereas sometimes if I'm taking like my B12 boost or B vitamins feel like they metabolize a little bit squirrely sometimes Mm -hmm. for me. Sure. Like jittery. Yes. Whereas CoQ10, I feel like is a super smooth kind of slow burn. Do you experience that? Cause I know you've been taking it. I've been taking it. Yeah. The, the like brain health, especially like the cognitive kind of brain firing up sensation versus the jitteriness of just like, you know, yeah, squirrely that, that describes it. Yep. (laughs) So, you know, CoQ10 in the world of energy, it, it plays a role in the mitochondrial ATP synthesis. So energy, raw conversion of energy from our foods, our, our, carbs and fats in the form of energy that we use in our cells. And um, that energy form is called adenosine triphosphate or ATP. So the conversion of the process of ATP provides the requirement of CoQ10 in the inner mitochondrial membrane. And one of its roles, again, is to accept electrons during fatty acid and glucose metabolism and then transfer them to electron acceptors. So that role in the electron transport chain, if you will, or electron transfer chain. Um, So this process of making ATP is crucial to every cell in the human body. And this allows messages to be sent between the cells or intracellular communication. And to maintain energy all the way down to a cellular level, ATP is going to be, the synthesis of ATP is going to be vital. And again, that ATP synthesis requires CoQ10 to regulate that ETC. So again, you mentioned like chronic fatigue world, fibromyalgia world. Um, There were also some interesting studies related to exercise. Yeah. So there were three separate double-blind placebo-controlled studies that we'll link in our show notes that showed improvements in exercise-related fatigue when supplementing with CoQ10. And the dosage that they used in these three studies ranged between 100 to 300 milligrams per day. So that'd be one to three capsules per day. And again, that was based on a double-blind randomized clinical trial. So that's kind of the gold standard of really seeing efficacy Mm -hmm. and and kind of weeding out that perceived health supporting effect. Sure. And you mentioned, you know, the demand of of the muscles, that's likely the mechanism of the reduction of exercise induced fatigue. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think in the world of energy as well is that mechanism of reduced oxidative damage and supporting antioxidant capacity, as well as reducing lipid peroxidation, which I think is a huge aha. So as we talk about, you know, we don't just demonize cholesterol or necessarily say LDL in itself is bad because we know that LDL is associated with all-cause mortality when low. So there's that inverse relationship with a higher risk of total death with very low LDL levels. So it's more about the LDL particle size as well as the LDL oxidation. And so there have been clinical studies that have looked at 
the role of CoQ10 as both water and fat soluble antioxidant to play a role in actually inhibiting this lipid peroxidation. So that's going to support those low dense lipoproteins or LDLs to be less oxidized, less prone towards plaque formations. That's a huge mechanism in not only neutralizing free radicals that can combat and drive um, aging process. So we can actually see atherosclerosis or more kind of damage to the vessels from free radical overload. We're also now getting the reduction in the lipid oxidation. Yeah. In um, the cardiometabolic panels I've been reviewing lately, I'm like, oh, now I have like a very specific intervention if I do see high levels of oxidized LDL on that panel. Absolutely. And, and clinical reductions yep. with use, yep. which Absolutely. is incredible to see. Yep. And, and even with high CRP, it's an added layer that I've been adding on for clients. Yeah, most definitely. Yep. Um, and then anti-aging kind of goes in that same world of reduction of oxidative damage because that's pretty much what aging is. Right. So yeah, I mean, if you think of like, uh, again, a vessel kind of getting weathered and mm -hmm. oxidized, yeah. I like to use the idea of like a garden hose, right? Yeah. So a garden hose in the winter is cracking and, and aging, breaking down. So this can hit at the level of protecting our heart, you know, against the stress-related aging, protection of our skeletal muscle from the structural damage that occurs. So minimizing the bone and joint injury and, and risk factors of aging, like the impact of tearing your Achilles as you age would be protected with CoQ10. Um, looking at fertility, especially in any age at 30s or above, I really think if you have any future goals of fertility that the CoQ10 is huge because we've actually seen a reversal of egg degradation and increased production of ATP as well as um, sperm morphology scoring improving and motility which is huge so both on women and men the preservation of by keeping the anti-aging antioxidant capacity the egg itself doesn't degrade or mm -hmm. the sperm itself is more viable and that's really important to get those two to come together <laughs> and do the deed. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and even topically used, I was interested in this seeing reduced UV skin damage. I've not personally tried topically. Um, ours would be like, I don't know if it would be orange if the liquid came out, but yeah, um, yeah you'd be tumoric stained. Probably. <laughs> like fake tanner, but um, <laughs> reducing skin damage. So in theory, taken internally could have a similar impact. Yep. And then of course, playing a role as an antioxidant, as I kind of alluded to, it is going to reduce oxidative stress through the whole antioxidant chains so that also means supporting healthier levels of glutathione, the grandmama antioxidant, because it holds up kind of a pillar of support for depletion. Yeah. Um, and then there's some interesting studies in the world of cancer. So um, whether undergoing chemo treatment, we've seen evidence that CoQ10 can help to protect other areas of the body from DNA damage that can happen with high doses of chemo. Absolutely. And then also synergistic effect of the cancer treatment mm -hmm. to actually increase the cancer killing potential. And we've seen that in a couple different medications, uh, doxorubicin and duanorubicin. So that's really powerful impact that it can protect the tissues we want to stay healthy and also synergistically impact the cancer fighting properties of medications. Yep. Um, and then there's some pretty promising research too in the area of breast cancer, colon cancer, and cervical cancer. Yeah. So the antioxidant function, we've actually seen studies of just 90 milligrams, so a little less than what's in a capsule of the CoQ10 complex. And we looked at less um, metastasis and less spread to the lymph nodes, likely because of, again, that mechanism of antioxidant support, reduced inflammation, um, and we saw better remission with use of the CoQ10 as opposed to those that did not have. Okay. And then within this colon cancer world, we've seen one study showing CoQ10 having significant lowered oxidative stress in the colon that actually leads to colon cancer in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And then if we're looking at cervical cancer, we can see that CoQ10 can also protect cervical lesions. Um, so we can see less conversion from precancerous to cancerous. Um, so for patients that are having a colposcopy, I always get that one twisted with 
the other, all the other words that sound so close to it, but a colposcopy, um, which could be investigating tissue, um, following a pap smear with abnormal cells mm-hmm. and such, or leap procedure. This would be a really good time to bring in that CoQ10 as a proactive player. And then also I've been doing in clinic vaginal insertion of the women's flora probiotic, because that also plays a role with reducing oxidative stress in the vaginal tissue, regulating the pH. So all of that can contribute and and fighting, of course, bacterial infections and yeast infections, and all of that can play a role in cervical cancer risk. For sure. That's a really good intervention, actually. Um, And then the world of neurological health, there's also some promising research here, especially in Parkinson's and schizophrenia. Yes. So Again, CoQ10, because of that electron transport chain impact, can affect directly the nerve channels and brain function. So we see a lot of neurological influence. There are studies that show people with cognitive disorders tend to have reduced levels of CoQ10 in their blood. So that's one of those deficiency-related dynamic symptoms. And there was a randomized placebo-controlled trial that evaluated the efficacy of CoQ10 from 300, 600, or 1,200 milligrams a day given to 80 people with early Parkinson's disease. And they found out that supplementation was well tolerated, no side effects, and more importantly, was associated with slower deterioration of cognitive functions when compared to the placebo. And they saw in the Parkinson's disease world that around 360 milligrams, it could be 300 milligrams a day, because they saw improvements in just four weeks of 360 milligrams a day used. Yeah. And then kind of same world um, in terms of Alzheimer's, there's actually been studies um, showing decreased amyloid pathology in um, at least mouse models. Yes. Yes. So we're talking about that plaque formation. That's all that oxidative process, which would make great sense. And then you also had mentioned the area of depression and um, I, I mentioned schizophrenia as an area of research. Yes. So there was also a really interesting study that looked at CoQ10 supplementation and positive effects on fatigue, cognitive impairment, and effective difficulties in several neuropsychiatric conditions. And they associated this with the mitochondrial dysfunction. As I mentioned, um, some antidepressant drugs and antipsychotic drugs do deplete antioxidants. Specifically, CoQ10 is one of those that is impacted. Um, And we've also seen, as I mentioned, higher oxidative stress in the brain with low blood levels Mm -hmm. of CoQ10. So it's kind of this dual influence. And as it plays a role in this essential free radical scavenging, it's reducing the oxidative stress in the brain. And when the brain is feeling less on fire or inflamed, we see improved cognitive as well as neurological, as well as mood regulating effects. Yep. Um, And then let's go back to, we covered some of the cardiovascular benefits, but let's go back and just unpack maybe a couple of the studies there um, and kind of the reasons for its impact on the cardiovascular system. So beyond this lipid oxidation reduction and reduction of oxidation or damage of the exact tissues of concern, we also see the energetic needs being supported by CoQ10. So the process of cardiac contraction includes the release of calcium and this activation of the contractile proteins require energy. And so there's a theory that myocardial failure may be caused by the reduced production of energy in the mitochondria. Basically, it's not getting the fuel to pump blood through the muscle itself of the heart. And then there's the anti-inflammatory effects of CoQ10. So we know that there are now studies out there that establish the anti-inflammatory properties of CoQ10, as you said, Becky, reducing C-reactive protein. Um, And this is through the means of nitric oxide regulation. And so this mechanism of regulating nitric oxide, which also plays a role with vasodilation and blood pressure regulation, could be a big component in where CoQ10 
provides that fuel to make the muscle work better and it is very effective in heart failure treatment even as an intervention. It can regulate those cytokines and chemokines which would induce this inflammatory response in the cardiovascular system. Yep, and in the heart failure population in particular, we've seen improvement of overall symptoms as well as reduced risk of death, which is huge in that population. Right, so we see an overall reduce in mortality, again, which is death, when CoQ10 is used in supplemental form. And because of all these mechanisms, so it's helping the heart to function, it is regulating the rhythm, regulating the blood pressure, protecting the tissues, and so much more. In fact, studies have found three out of four patients with heart disease to have clinically low levels of CoQ10 and low circulating levels of CoQ10. So we can see a direct proportion to disease progression based on CoQ10 status. Yes. Um, And then another area that is quite promising would be the area of diabetes and metabolic syndrome. And, And obviously that often does go hand in hand with cardiovascular disease as well. Absolutely. And so we see that on energy production and metabolic function, of course. Um, But we have seen a study with randomized clinical trial with clients with metabolic syndrome, and they were taking 100 milligram CoQ10 for eight weeks and had beneficial effects on serum insulin levels. So that insulin sensitivity, remember there's more insulin resistance based on inflammation. So probably the anti-inflammatory mechanisms. Also, there was better B cell function. So actually looking at that pancreatic function in productivity and protecting those tissues of that gland that produce the insulin. And also plasma total antioxidant capacity concentrations were improved, which really when we're talking about diabetes, a lot of the mechanisms of diabetic complications, if we're talking about renal failure, if we're talking about circulatory dysfunction, gastroparesis, neurological dysfunction, a lot of these have to do with the oxidative stress and the glycation that the elevated sugars do on that targeted area of the body. So by providing antioxidants, you're both helping to get that blood sugar regulated more appropriately with the insulin sensitivity, but also protecting the vessels, protecting the neurological system, mm-hmm. protecting those kidneys yeah. and you know, so much yep. more. So there's that duality of synergy of outcome by supporting the compound of need. Yep. And especially because those kidneys we noted as an area of high concentration yep. can you know prevent all of those complications like nephropathy and kidney failure in diabetics. No doubt. So we hit on fertility kind of briefly, but I just want to give you some information on research there. So um, they looked at, there was a research study that looked at pretreatment with CoQ10 improving ovarian response and embryo quality in low prognosis young women with decreased ovarian reserve. And this was a randomized controlled trial. They used 200 milligrams three times a day. So this is quite a potent dosage, but this was for a period of 60 days. Um, and they saw in their results that the CoQ10 pretreatment resulted in significantly lower gonadotropin requirements, which is your overall sexual hormone uh, production, and higher peak E2 levels. We know that your estradiol tends to peak with your um, luteal hormone, and uh, women in the CoQ10 group had increased number of retrieved oocytes or eggs, higher fertilization rate, higher meaning 67.5%, that's significantly higher, and a more quality, high quality embryo, and significantly less women um, treated with CoQ10 had canceled embryo transfer because of poor embryo development. So the women that were not treated with CoQ10 um, had a higher impact of not having successful transplant or transfer. Yes, and this is an area I'm starting to see more and more even in the conventional fertility world, thank goodness, that um, CoQ10 is being used prior to those retrieval cycles. But I think this was one of the big reasons we brought it in in the first place was its fertility impact. Absolutely. And we do see that now in most IVF clinics that Mm -hmm. they're using about 200 to 300 milligrams is what I'm seeing typically in the standard, like get them on the prenatal, get them on the CoQ10 and get them on likely hopefully a DHA. Um, And um, often the prenatal isn't methylated, which is always a pet peeve of ours, as we say, but 
The big thing is even without going to the level of IVF, you can support, and we've seen in clinical studies, your ovarian reserves. So if your AMH levels are declining, again, you're finding yourself in your 30s and still have future goals of uh, baby making, this would be a really good preemptive tool. Yep. And something to give to your partner as well. Um, and, And whenever I'm working with fertility clients I'm like, hey, we need to at least get him on a multi-cellular antiox and CoQ10, both uh, both of those guys. And relax and regulate. Yeah, that, that myo and yep. acetal yeah, is yeah, numbers yeah, yeah. for sperm yep. function. Yep. Mm-hmm. Most um, definitely. But yeah, we've seen improvements in, in male infertility in the world of sperm motility, increased fertilization rates, boosted sperm count, improved morphology or that size and formation of sperm. Mm-hmm. And then the big picture again is by increasing the antioxidants in the semen plasma, that's going to protect the sperm in their journey. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and then I mentioned fibromyalgia as one other area um, more related to that energy production piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So energy production, but also that muscle degradation yeah. and that kind of atrophy or lack of the muscle contraction through the calcium uh, channel connection with the electron transfer chain. So there is that ATP, when ATP gets burned out in the mitochondria, we don't get as activated short muscle fibers, which is the athletic component. But chronically, this can then be seen with fibromyalgia where we're seeing pretty bad neurological or muscular pain and lack of function. So there was actually a uh, dosage of 300 milligrams per day in a study that looked at fibromyalgia. Uh, There was a juvenile study that looked at a hundred milligram dose and they saw improvements in reduction of overall pain symptoms, less headaches or migraines. And I think that's a big area Mm -hmm. too that we don't, we didn't call out, but migraines and CoQ10 is huge. Again, the oxidative stress in the brain and, and the inflammation. Um, and then this study also saw a reduction of fatigue and tiredness, restored mitochondrial function and improved energy, as well as reduced oxidative stress and improvement in the cholesterol markers. Yep. Um, and then I want to go back to um, the heart connection for a second and maybe unpack a little bit in the recent news of myocarditis associated with the schmackschmeen. Yeah. The well, what's so interesting is myocarditis was given like a big bum, bum, bum in the middle of 2020. And they were talking about adolescents and teens being impacted. And I think there were a total of three cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that you can count on one hand. I do know that for certain. And so if you look at the level of population of adolescents and teens that have been exposed or tested positive for COVID, um, but you look at the level of population of those that have been vaccinated, which is lower currently than the number of people that had been infected with COVID, mm-hmm. there's already been 300 reported cases to VAERS, which is, again, the Vaccine Adverse Reporting System, Adverse Effect Reports. And um, we know that VAERS are upwards of a couple hundred percent reduced from what is actually clinically seen based on the bipu bapui issues of reporting and submission and recording right. the knowing data. Knowing how to report, knowing that you can report all of the things. And so there are though 300 plus cases that the CDC has received and acknowledged in VAERS based on heart inflammation in young people after the COVID vaccine. So there's a substantially higher risk factor. And it's so interesting because unfortunately the media really was covering this mm-hmm. about like, no, adolescents and teens aren't safe th- for those right. literally three right. cases. Now we're at, you know, more than a hundred fold of this and it's been crickets. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, myocarditis can range in terms of severity. So a mild case, you might not even know it's happening. There's a little bit of inflammation of that heart muscle, but in severe cases, you're seeing, you know, clots can form in your heart leading to a stroke or a heart attack, which there have been, unfortunately, strokes and heart attacks in young people in the 16 to 24 group. And with that can be severe lifetime neurological issues, mm-hmm. as well as death, unfortunately, yep. obviously, that's the, the biggest area of concern. And I, I think it's really shocking, again, just yesterday, as we're recording this a week out, 
just yesterday, the World Health Organization came out with a statement that they no longer are recommending the COVID-19 vaccine for children. Um, I don't believe, was there a direct cutoff? Was it 12 it and under? It, it didn't, didn't state. It just said children, though. Yep, mm-hmm. children. And, and I don't know if they're considering teens within children. Right. Is or, it under 18? Right. Is it under 12? But either way, that was their statement that right now they don't believe that there's enough clinical evidence to support the use of COVID-19 vaccination. Although when you look at all these organizations in our country, um, the CDC, still the the, the American Pediatric um, Association or clinic, I can't think of their um, acronym, but regardless, they're all still taking the stance to push the jab. And I think that that's wildly concerning, especially when you're seeing groups like Facebook and Instagram and YouTube censoring content that they used to say they censored things that went against the World Health Organization. And there's literally been screenshots from the World Health Organization's website, which has a statement that have been censored. Mm. (laughs) That just right there is, again, are we pushing one stream narrative or are we pushing information? Right. And that's really a scary time. So yes, the the that would be something to be mindful of. And if you know or your child or teen has had the vaccine, this could be something preemptive to at least support their body in yep. the process. But the concern is that we've seen really healthy kiddos, um, the individuals that were football players and basketball players and on full ride scholarships, no comorbidities, healthy lipid panel, no increased inflammatory markers, no blood sugar dysregulation. And, you know, all of a sudden feeling like they're experiencing a heart attack 24 seven and getting into the hospital and having high blood pressure, severe chest pains, back pain, elevated kidney levels, hypothyroidism, inflamed lymph nodes in different areas of the body and totally debilitated. Um, really quite concerning when we're using our children as the guinea pigs and putting them at this severe risk. Yes. And especially noting that a lot of children and teens have likely naturally had a COVID infection. And I think this is a population we're going to start to see the more severe adverse vaccine impact in. Yes. And and the whole idea that again, going back to this like one myopic narrative that as we've discussed in the episode two weeks ago, 243, when we talked about the Schmackschmeen and Divac, we talked about how this is a novel time where we're not testing for prior infection right. and natural immunity, right. which likely is more robust and dynamic, especially against these variants, teaching the body through exposure and the body's learned adaptive immune process, which likely lasts a lifetime, like we saw in the 1918 flu. Um, and we're not even testing for antibodies or B cells or memory or exposure. We're just saying everyone needs it and we're going to use vaccine status not natural immune status in these universities right. of whether this child can attend right i just recently looked at and, and we saw this in the um in the nfl there's a lot of garbage going on with the nat- the national players league um, but i was looking at a college university uh, email that a client or actually someone on instagram emailed to me becky after listening to episode 243 and she said I listened to this in the car with my mother and my daughter, who's going to, I think it was Arizona State University. And um, it showed this wild table of if you have medical necessity to not be vaccinated, you must comply with biweekly COVID-19 testing, masking indoors and outdoors everywhere on campus. Um, not, I mean, I mean, literally, it was such a segregation um coercive dynamic that it's really a scary time where it, my heart goes out to the parents of college kids and adolescents and teens where they're being just really the, the, it feels like the walls are pressing in on the pressure and the dynamics of what life and freedom look like with or without the jab. And we should not have to feel coerced into a health medical decision. We should always be able to weigh out the cost to benefit for each individual and what's right for their bodies. And this is just absolutely medical mayhem. Yeah. And, and really scary in terms of the timeline too, of, you know, pushing it for next school year without ample time to investigate fully these myocarditis and and other adverse event reports. There's at least been discussion within the FDA. I haven't watched any of the the testimony yet there, but they're at least discussing these cases. But right now, at least in mainstream media, it's being really, really downplayed. Yes. So the good news on a lighter foot, just going back to (laughs) CoQ10. Back to CoQ10. How do we get here? I know. (laughs) 
Ring me back. Every time. Ring me back. Yep. So when we're looking at CoQ10, there is actually clinical research um, from the cardiology reviews in 2018, coenzyme Q10 and cardiovascular and metabolic diseases, current state of the problem. And they looked at uh, mice with viral myocarditis that received CoQ10 and um, that compared to a control group. And they did see that the pretreatment of CoQ10 reduced the severity of, myo- of myocarditis in the mice um, by decreasing that oxidative stress and supporting the cardiovascular health. Um, so we do know that if, you know, this could be a preemptive or even a post schmackschmean intervention to at least regulate and support the heart health. Yes. Yep. Um, I think that's a, a fantastic tool to use if you have had known COVID, if you are thinking about getting the vaccine or yeah, if you've already had it. Absolutely. Uh, so again, you can use yep. CoQ10 podcast for 15% off your first bottle. That's CoQ10 podcast. And we are happy to do that to support you all and getting all of this myriad of effects. Let's talk food as medicine, yeah, Becky. Yeah. Um, so our food sources of CoQ10, I think the first one that really comes to mind and that I try to hit home with clients whenever I'm seeing a, a report of CoQ10 deficiency is organ meat, organ meat, organ meat, right? Absolutely. Um, and even including like heart within your diet. So like chicken hearts, a little bit easier to come by and digest than like beef or or. I have a lamb heart in my freezer right now, actually, that's just waiting for me. <laughs> Ooh. Yep. Um, but those organs being a really rich source of CoQ10, first and foremost. And then grass-fed beef would be kind of the next big thing. Yeah, and I think that, honestly, heart, although it's dense muscle, uh, the flavor profile yeah. is the least gamey. Yeah. I think kidney is the worst, liver is the middle, and heart is the best. I would agree with if that. If I had to put them in yep. order of, like, you know, organ lovers. And I remember, actually at Tafia or it was maybe Sparrow at that time. I'm not sure. Um, Monica Pope did heart and it was calf's heart. And it was like, I had the aorta in my mouth. I have like this interesting picture. So as a like recovering vegan, it was a very interesting, you know, to like actually see and be like, oh, I'm chewing on the aorta. Yep. Um, It's rubbery. It is. (laughs) It is. You can feel that collagen, you know, the elasticity. Um, So I think heart though is one that can be ground into burgers quite Mm -hmm. easily or chili and things like that. I would call out, I'm not a big proponent and I've seen some weird imbalances in neurotransmitter testing with daily use of organ supplements. I don't know if you have, but I've seen really elevated epinephrine Mm -hmm. and I've seen elevated PEA. And some of these things we can see with both panic attack, dynamic anxiety, as well as like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia in the PEA world. And so that is something that I kind of caution people to. I think ancestrally, um, yes, we did age and ferment some meats, but also if the tribe killed a large elk or deer or animal or whatnot, yes, they would go for the vital organs first, but I don't believe that organs were consumed daily right, per se right. in an ancestral approach. animal. So if you think about having an entire cow in your freezer and you're eating just the organs of that cow, yeah. it would be a very small percentage of your intake. Right. So I'm not sure on a supplemental mm-hmm. level, aside from doing like adrenal bovine gland as a glandular for adrenal insufficiency, like in our adrenal support, again, if you think of that even, so the adrenal glandular in our adrenal support provides support for cortisol and epinephrine and dopamine mm-hmm. and norepinephrine and aldosterone and DHEA, all of the components of the adrenals. You're getting a you know gland driver of that compound. So just randomly at will taking like thymus and spleen and some of these organ blends, I'm not sure what kind of pillars you're upregulating on a regular level. So just something to kind of food for thought. Some people do really well with them, but I've seen people get really imbalanced yeah. by taking like six to plus you know, of these organ blends. And yeah. I prefer the food form in that yeah. sense. More synergistic effect. We have a, a chicken heart skewers. I did them on like long sticks of rosemary um, where you can grill them like that and then serve them with like a really yummy truffle aioli sauce. And I swear if you close your eyes and do chicken heart, it tastes just like chicken thigh. Dark chicken. Like you're not going to know. Yep, totally, totally. And then with that being said, proteins are going to be fabulous as well. So, you know, like we said, it is concentrated in the muscle, not as dynamic in the heart, which is like over 100 scoring. I think the muscles like in the thirties, forties, but still good. So grass fed beef, wild caught fish, free range, dark meat, chicken, 
Um, all of these are going to be really fantastic sources. And then we do see some coenzyme Q10 in egg yolk. So getting good quality pasture raised eggs and um, those fattier fish like the sardines, mackerel tend to be good sources, but I've seen salmon on lists as well. Um, and then there is a source in some of the vegetable sources, some nuts and seeds, sesame seeds. So maybe doing like tahini nut butter, pistachio nuts. So making a pistachio nut milk or blending, having that paired with some dried mango or maybe some strawberry slices, strawberries, oranges, cauliflower, broccoli. We're in the produce family of the highest forms of CoQ10. But again, if we're scaling them, you're going to get the most bioavailable from the organs, then the meats and fish, and then the vegetable form. And I think important to note, especially with your animal proteins, cooking them to like medium, medium rare, um, or, or even rare to your tolerance, you're going to preserve more yeah. of that vital CoQ10. So if we're going like well done, blackened, cooked to death, you're not going to be getting as much of that antioxidant because that heat is going to damage it. You're right. You're driving oxidative yep. stress in yep. the cooking. Yep. So let's also include in today's episode some other synergies. So you mentioned the chicken hearts on rosemary skewers and then also the peanut butter liver pate. Uh, we got that on the blog, right? Or was that in an ebook? We've got it on the blog. We've got the peanut butter liver pate. I love that uh, one. It's like served on a simple meal cracker. I can picture the the image with a blackberry on top. I have to make that for Noah. I have not tried that with it's him yet. It's good. And, um, you know, also you could do like a jam if you wanted to mm-hmm. offset it, but just the flavor profile, I think plays really nice. I had that at a restaurant with like bacon and blackberry jam. And so, oh yeah, yeah. That flavor profile, like on, um, a piece of that seriously bread, okay. uh, toasted would be fabulous. That'd be an enjoyable way to get liver pate in. Yes. And then um, the mini meatloaf muffins with the bacon and caramelized onions. So adding that tomato paste and that umami flavor profile helps to override. And then um, the organ meatballs YouTube video that we have coming out. Um, So you can just, we won't be able to link that because it likely won't be out by the time we air this, but you can just Google um, organ meatballs, Allie Miller RD or naturally nourished YouTube, and you'll see an awesome video coming soon. And I think that we'll have to link that in our naturally nourished food as medicine for the whole family. Sure. Because that's been like, honestly, what Noah's like favorite baby led winning meat. We make it like Byron makes a big batch and freezes half of it. But I mean, we're making them like once a week and he doesn't notice the difference between grass fed beef or organs. I swear he eats more of the organ blend ones. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Um, And if you're subscribed to YouTube, you will get an alert when that video goes live. So I suggest that if you are a podcast listener and you love keeping up to date with everything that we are putting out there, that you head over and subscribe if you have not already. Absolutely. And while you're there, like, comment, share, do all the things. We are excited to grow that channel. And I was just looking yesterday at all of the quality content. So, you know, we mentioned opening today with the bone broth fast video, including things like why you need organs and so much more. And then there's all different episodes on CoQ10, I mean, excuse me, on PCOS and heart health and all these other kind of subtopics in easy digestible bites like eight to 12 minutes. So it might be easier to pop on. You don't have to watch them. You can just listen to them as well while you're driving a lot of information and inspiration. Yes. So thanks y'all for listening to episode 246 of the Naturally Nourished podcast, all on CoQ10. Hopefully this leaves you inspired to try some of these food as medicine recipes. And again, if you are not supplementing with CoQ10, but you fall into one of these deficiency symptoms, or you are of an area of needing intervention in these areas where CoQ10 has been clinically impactful, definitely consider using the code CoQ10 podcast and you will save 15% off your first bottle at AllieMillerRD.com. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.